my sense has always been that that Yasser is going to decide this. You know, not Jay Monahan, not Roy McElroy, not this newfangled board of directors. It's he's got the money, he's got the juice, and it is it has been his creation that he's nurtured, and he's very close to some of the the key live players, and they bought into his vision. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, welcome back to another Fire Drill podcast. This is Alan Shipnuck, joined by Matt Janella. We want to talk about the state of the game, the state of the fire pit, some of the things we're working on, and just kind of do a little catch up. Uh, Maddie, thank, thanks for jumping on here. Uh, well, I I got to go to the horse's mouth. I want to get the I want to get the, I wanted to get the scoop. Uh, and uh, who better than you? Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 dive into uh, live golf um, and all the latest <laughs> developments. It's like every day, it never ends. Uh, I'm going to be literally. They'll be printing my book. I'm going to be at the printing facility, like handwriting notes in the margin because things just keep happening. But um, before we get going, we, let's let's thank our sponsors, Dormy Workshop. Um, anything you want to say about our friends over at Dormy, Matt? No, I mean, it's just that they are an incredible golf family business based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where all they make is quality leather head covers and accessories. Um I met these guys, the Bishop brothers, uh, at the PJ merchandise show almost 10 years ago. And when I used to run around on morning drive looking for things to promote for buddies trips or, or gifts or things, gadgets, I couldn't help but always go to the dormy workshop, um, stand and grab some of their stuff that they, that they made. It's just, it's just incredible. I just don't think there's anybody else in the industry doing it quite like they do it and personalize certain th- personalizing certain things and creating certain things that every time they post something, you're like, that's amazing. They got some sort of baseball glove head cover now that look like you can personalize <laughs> and they've done some great stuff for us. So go to firepitcollective.com and get some of their fire pit head covers and stash bags or Go to dormyworkshop.com and use promo code FIREPIT15 for 15% off some of the stuff that they have on their website. I uh, really appreciate their support. Same. Um, so the latest twists and turns, um, you know, Jay Monahan, His Excellency Yasser Al-Rumayan and Greg Norman have been summoned to Capitol Hill to testify um, about what's really happening behind the scenes, getting some of the antitrust issues that's set for July 11. As part of that, they had to turn over the five-page framework agreement, which was the signed document that led to the, this earthquake. And they they talked around it, and, and and Jimmy Dunn as well had pulled out some of the language in their press appearances, but no one had seen the document. And then by turning it over to the – it's good to know how, how – um, how quickly the, the U.S. government people are to leak documents. It was like it, it dropped in Washington, D.C. and within minutes, everybody had it. Um, but we, we thank them for their service. There weren't any bombshells, really. Um, you know, I, I think that, that, that Jay and, and Jimmy and others have been pretty good at summarizing the contents of this agreement. But there were definitely some nuggets. I mean, one that, that jumps out right away was um, the line in there that, that the PJ tour and the DP world tour are going to, uh, you know, try their best to get world ranking points for live golf. And it's interesting because they were fighting so hard to prevent that, but you know, obviously the, the landscape has changed. It's obviously a win for live. That's one of the things that's sort of de legitimized the entire thing is, um, and it's been this background battle, um, the, the larger question, you know, what's going to happen to live golf. I mean, that, there's really three or four big questions What in, in this new merger. What's going to happen to Live Golf? Uh, how are they going to make whole the players who stayed loyal to the PGA Tour? Whether there's Live or not, how are players going to be reintegrated? You know, how are the Live guys going to be reintegrated into the larger landscape? Um, th- those are the biggies. And there wasn't a lot of clarity in that document. Um, but 
it was it was certainly interesting to see. And I will say Keith Pelly's signature is off the charts. Like, I mean, if people make fun of my signature when I'm signing books at SFO, but um, it, it was ornate and funny. But um, you don't wear well, those kinds of you don't wear those kinds of glasses and that variety of color and have kind of a bland, you know, autograph. Right. It just it's just not part of the deal. Yeah, that's a good call. It's all it, it all works. It's it's the totality of Keith Pelly, but. Uh, it's funny, your you know, sense has always been that live lives, though. Your sense is that why would they scrap it? This was this was Yasir's baby, and it made it, it or it made or makes no sense to you that they would just completely scrap it, and and especially if there's going to be some sort of process and sort of the players not don't got automatically get back in, right? Like, and they've got contract. Like, I don't see how how there's a, a, a situation where it just goes away. My sense has always been that that Yasser is going to decide this, you know, not Jay Monahan, not Roy McElroy, not this newfangled board of directors. It's he's got the money, he's got the juice, and it is it has been his creation that he's nurtured, and he's very close to some of the the key live players, and they bought into his vision, right? They're, they're the ones who took the leap of faith, and that meant so much to to him personally and to the you know this the whole idea of the Saudis getting into professional golf and, and those pioneers essentially brought us to this moment. And so there, there is a loyalty there and there's, there's a sense of ownership. And, um, but at the same time, I mean, he's a ruthless businessman. And so I think, I think they're going to take a hard look at it. It's clear that, um, this is, this process is going to be ornate and the idea that it's going to get wrapped up here in the coming months is pretty fanciful. Um, the, the framework agreement expires on December 31st of this year. However, um, there is language in that they can, they can extend that. And that seems likely, even though it throws into uncertainty so much, um, you know, there was a board meeting, um, today, this, this is Tuesday and, um, you know, the, the tours in, in Detroit, rocket mortgage, and there was a player only meeting. And then the board met, and put out a statement basically saying that we're committed to working on this process. But some of the language in there was interesting. It, it was kind of like, if we can finalize the agreement, not when, you know, there's been a lot of pushback internally from the player directors, especially Patrick Cantlay is an interesting person in all of this. He, he's been, he's been, <laughs> I'm sorry, wait, what did you say? Patrick Cantlay has been an interesting person. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. For, that's amazing. I know. That's the, breaking news. Yeah, the word interesting is rarely applied to the guy, but he is he is smart and he is strident. And someone who's dealt with him on governance issues described him to me as a terrific penis. I said, I didn't quite get it. It's like he's a big dick. Like he's just hard to deal with. And he's he's all along has just been pushing for the interests of the Delaware 23, you know, just the top guys who've been sort of setting this policy. And he really doesn't care about the journeyman. He doesn't care about the opposite field events. It, he's kind of gone all in on this tour within a tour, which is fine, but it, it's created a lot of hard feelings because that's the majority of the players out there. And so now he's pushing back on this framework agreement and a lot of the details. And, you know, it whatever gets agreed upon between Yasser, Jimmy Dunn, Jay Monahan, or his replacement, because that remains an unknown, um, it's still going to have to be approved by the PGA tour board and the players now have five votes. Rory's one of them. I mean, he's obviously, he was thrown to the wolves here. He, he could be um, persuaded maybe to, to um, go against the tide. And then you have Peter Malnati who was elected, you know, sort of a journeyman to represent the little guy. I mean, it's easy to imagine him siding with Cantlay and these things. So uh, right there's three votes and it gets interesting because the, um, this people talk about this like it's a done deal, but it's not. And that's becoming more and more clear. And there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of give and take, and there's going to be a lot of wrangling. And this process is not done. It's just beginning. I mean, so uh, you, this to me has always felt like the sum total of, Live was doing what it was doing. The tour had reacted the way it reacted. They were the sponsors. We knew enough 
you've known way more than me, but we've talked to a lot of tournament sponsors. We know tournament sponsors were not happy. They were lined up and talking about their future to say we have a watered down product. You're asking us for more money. Uh, this, this makes no sense. It doesn't pencil out. You're talking at us, not with us. We keep getting surprised by this news and everything that goes along with it. You're trying to control what it is that, you know, our, our sometimes decades long commitment to this tour product and you're treating us like this. You know, we, we knew the Jim Cranes were very verbal and, and vocal right from the, from the outset and were, and were, you know, using leverage. <clears throat> and he was one of the guys who could have afforded it. So, you know, th- there was a lot of places that were, so we knew the tour was, was against the ropes, non-sustainable, watered down product, asking for more money, you know, something had to give. Um, so this, this, this seemed to me like Dunn and Hurley, he got in this room and said, for the better of like, we'll deal with the players later. They're going to eventually understand that without this, whatever, you know, let's not call it a merger, but without this agreement, without this partnership, without PIF money, and without trying to find a way of uni- you know, unifying this world of professional. I hate when they talk about golf. This is good for golf. This is, this is professional golf. This, yeah, is, this, is, this is like just professional golf. Yeah. The difference between NFL and baseball, no one's running around playing those sports, you know, for a lifetime, you know, activity. Yeah. Like we do with golf. Like golf, like that's why I was trying to say in the last podcast is golf for me is what we play. Professional golf is this cash grab. That, great. Go get it. And the big trophies during the majors mean a little something more and, and you're going down in the history books. And that's how you'll be judged in, from a legacy standpoint. But Dunn and Hurley, he basically, I think now and Monahan are left explaining to players like Cantley or others, hey guys, you can either get on board with this or you can get on board with something that is going to be like a, a shell of what you've been used to or what you think is happening for the future of the PJ tour. There's no more tiger Phil's, you know, now creeping into his mid fifties. Like we got to get on getting on, or this is going to come to a crashing halt. Yeah. You know, there's a third true, but there's, there's a third rail here where now that the tour has introduced this idea of becoming a for-profit entity, um, if they can't come to terms with with the PIF and the Saudis, they could go to other private equity folks. And there's there's plenty of been sniffing around. I mean, Rain Capital was involved with the Premier Golf League, and they're they're still involved. I mean, the guy who runs Rain Capital essentially, Colin Neville, he was in the room in Delaware. He's been an advisor to Rory and Tiger, and he could probably raise a billion dollars with a few phone calls now. So they can still go for for profit without having this part, this, this, this deal get done. Yeah. Cause that's in the language. Like if basically is one of the clauses that was in this, this framework agreement, we're going to try our best in good faith to make this work. And if not, we'll shake hands and go our separate ways and can continue doing our own thing. And so, you know, everyone's talked about, well, this, this was a Trojan horse by the Saudis start live force the tour to capitulate, take over the tour. Well, you could look at it the other way around. This is a Trojan horse by the tour to become for-profit, to introduce this idea of reshaping the business. They can now discard the Saudis, try and reclaim the moral high ground, and and the players will go along with anything at this point because they understand the existential crisis to their business. And you can bring in a Blackwater. I mean, there's there's a million hedge funds and private equity places out there that would, would pour money into it. So this... It's a little fragile right now. And, you know, clearly the, the PIF has more money than anybody else, but they don't have all the money. There's other places. And um, so that that becomes a whole interesting subtext to this. Um, now, it, just to, to continue the thought exercise, if that were to happen, it's still a win 
for the tour and that they've ended the litigation and that that was dismissed without prejudice meaning you can never refile it like it's done forever all the well, both sides wanted that right that both, was the other thing yeah, none of those sides, tent poles none of those top guys wanted their phones confiscated emails revealed yeah. none of that like all those they all and the saudis didn't want the, everybody did, wanted to keep their own shit their their own shit yeah but you know ending the ending the litigation does not end the department of justice antitrust investigation so it, it definitely turns the volume down on on all the legal wrangling, but the Department of Justice is still sniffing around. And you know, Monahan's comment that we did this to take a competitor off the board was a, a huge blunder because that just gives more <laughs> scrutiny to this this notion that this merger, which is not really a merger, but it, that's become a common usage, was designed to you know to to thwart the competition between these two entities, and that that is classic antitrust. So. And that's why these guys are getting hauled in front of in front of you know senators because this is this is an ongoing issue. It, it does taking away the the lawsuit and the counter lawsuit does help, but the Department of Justice they're the ones who are snatching the phone. It's not the lawyers for each side. They don't have that authority, but the Department of Justice does. So that's an, that's an ongoing background issue. That, so for for this framework agreement to become final, it ha they have to convince the the board. They have to get the players behind it, and they have to survive an antitrust investigation. So, it's it's tenuous. Um, but there's also a frac. There's also a there's also a splinter between the. It's not just the players on board, right? There is there is this whole group of players who are represented by a whole group of agents who are like, where do we fit into all of this, right? Yeah, I mean the, the agents. In, in the in the age of live had more power than they've ever had before because they were the conduits for all of this deal making and you know th this guy uh, Majid al Saror who was running live day to day for the, its first year plus he was a great relationship builder with the agents and a lot of them call him like my guy you know Majid was my guy he's gone now but um, the agents it was it was like Christmas every day for them you know they these once in a lifetime windfalls because you know, it's so funny how this it's this is so subtle, but the relationship between agents and players, it varies, but generally they get 20% of endorsement money, but they don't get anything that's on the golf course. Now, what is a live contract? It falls into this gray area. It's not a classic endorsement. It's like an appearance fee, but not exactly. It's it's not winnings per se. And so the players and the agents had to negotiate this individually, how they were going to handle these big signing bonuses. And generally they most didn't pay 20%. Some paid as little as 10, some paid 15. But these were, you know, 15% of $100 million is a heck of a lot of money for these agents. And so instead of negotiating for their clients, they're go negotiating with their clients. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating subtext. I get into all this stuff in the book. And so, um, yeah, the, if, if, if this, and this is another thing that was in the framework agreement is that they agreed that players cannot switch tours while this is being negotiated. So there's the idea of rec live recruiting other players is on hold until this shakes out. Now, um, if so, just to extend this thought exercise, what happens if this whole thing blows up? Well, then, Live is back in business. The tour has forfeited the moral argument. They've they've given the stamp of approval to the Saudi money. Then, therefore, there's no reason for anyone to stay on the PGA tour. So, so the tour is like fighting for its life here. They've got to consummate this agreement, but there's these powerful forces that are making it complex. So it's it's going to it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out and to to your question of like 15 minutes ago I never fully answered what happens to live I mean it's increasingly clear they're going to play a live schedule in 2024 because this is not going to be resolved there's contracts in place the schedule's finalized um so I I think live is safe for 24 and then then it's going to be a fundamental question um you know for for Yasser it's still his baby and he he has absolute power right so like people weren't tuned into this but the the, the season finale uh, for this year live golf was supposed to be in miami it got it got moved to Jeddah, saudi arabia no one in in live wanted it to go to Jeddah. so now their biggest most important event is played in the middle of the night with no fans and in a you know versus miami which is a fun party town it's in pretty be in prime time whatever but yasser wanted it 
so that therefore it's done. And so if he keeps live going, he can reshape it along those lines. He, he can do whatever he wants. Whereas if you, if they fold up live and he just becomes an investor in the tour, he has tons of say, but the status quo is powerful. Like, you know, maybe they could get one tour event in Saudi Arabia. Um, but that's far from a sure thing. And, um, so there's various reasons to keep live going also to circumvent the, the antitrust say, okay, we'll just keep it as its separate thing. Um, we're, we're not anti-competitive. We didn't, we didn't shut it down. There's that. And, and then there's just this notion, like, why did they even get, why did they even launch live? I mean, clearly they wanted to become part of the Western world. They wanted to be accepted in the golf world, but you know, one of the pillars of this vision 2030, which is the, you know, MBS has staked his whole reign on this idea is, is to increase tourism. And, you know, live has a lot of potential there. Like they could add a second event in a different part of Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, they could leverage the, the star power of their players and you could have a Phil Mickelson golf course or a Brooks Kepka golf course or whatever. And so, um, there's various reasons to keep it going. Now that Cam, now a they, Cam Smith golf course would be cool. Yeah. It would just be like, Pioneer number two, all domed greens, shaved down. I like, want to play a Cam Smith golf course. Yeah, it'd be short game for days. It's kind of like what, what Phil did at Whisper Rock, you know. Um, yeah. But um, so yeah, it's it's a very interesting question. What's going to happen to Live Golf? And um, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to keep it going. There's reasons not to. Partly, it's not making money. In fact, it's losing money. And also, it would create this continued schism in the game, even if even if the live guys can flow back and forth to the, and make some cameos on the PGA tour, it, it's complex as long as it's in existence. So that's a foundational question. Yeah. But to your point now, it seems even if this doesn't go through, doesn't happen, there is some on course, <clears throat> some, some live activation momentum as they're realizing if we go to places where the tour doesn't go, we have, we have an audience on site. It's going to yeah. feel bigger than it's been, it's been feeling bigger than the U S open. Oh, by the way, <laughs> um, which is a whole nother conversation. But then also you have, you have, it should kind of be easier to get, you know, some sort of distribution deals done by virtue of they're no longer, apparently, according to the tour, they're no longer the enemy and in this wording the verbiage that jumped out to me is they go from essentially enemy number one to premier corporate piff being the premier corporate sponsor the premier yeah. corporate sponsor goes from yeah. zero to hero <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting um so that, distribution that, could get easier. They're learning from their mistakes. They still have they still have the players that are that are interesting. That's been you know you know Brooks Cam Phil finishing second in the Masters. These guys are these guys are playing golf. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, if I'm the Oscar, yeah, yeah, and you get world ranking points, it would, it would clearly be easier to recruit in the future. I mean, if I'm Yasser, why not? Why not have the best of both worlds? You have, you, you keep you keep live going, and you do whatever you want with it, and then you have you have you have Piff running the PGA Tour on some level. Like you could have you could have both. I mean, all it takes is money, and if it's always been their strategy to get the investment back from Live is to try and sell these franchises, and so they've never really even gone to market with that. Um, who knows what the market would support? I mean. It, it's an interesting thought exercise now, as 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 you say, they've they've been welcomed into the the larger ecosystem. So it's it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. And Monahan, you know what? If if Jay walks away, and what you know the the Senate testimony is going to be very interesting because if if he doesn't show up for that, then it's pretty clear either his health problems are more serious than they've led on, or he's 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 stepping away. And if he does show up, it's going to be a big deal. It's probably going to be his first public appearance, and there'll be a lot of energy around that. So, it, um, you know, where does Monahan fit into this? Uh, there's no clear successor. Like, you know, Tim Fincham made it very obvious that Jay Monahan was going to succeed him um, because Monahan's so much younger, and he's only been in the, on the job for five years. There, there, there hasn't been an obvious candidate to replace him yet, and so that would touch off a whole other thing because 
it, it's already a big job. Now it, it could be monumental. So um, well, I saw Jimmy Dunn at Augusta National a few weeks before the Masters with Rory McIlroy and Shane Lowry <laughs> they and Tom Brady. It seemed to me that um, they're very close. Rory being Rory, Jimmy Dunn being Jimmy Dunn. I mean, Jimmy Dunn is they, – they would the PGA Tour would be in a good place if Jimmy Dunn stayed at the wheel from a, from a business standpoint. And from a from a diplomatic standpoint, um, just in, in the pull he has with play with key players. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure he'd want it because being the the commissioner is a grind. I mean, you're going to 30 plus events a year. Every player on tour is in your in your ear bitching about X, Y, and Z. You've got to glad hand all the sponsors. You've got to. It's you're negotiating tons of contracts you've got a, you've, there's a corporate side there's a tv side there's okay, pick a pick a commissioner if you if you could wave a wand right now based on all that you know and everything you've seen and heard who's the best commissioner uh to replace jamon and if that if that were to come about mm, i would say joe ogilvy you know former tour player now in the finance world incredibly smart knows the business has the respect of the players you know, That's Dean been Beeman rumored for to, like 25 years, by the way. I mean, yeah. I mean it, it was always kind of a joke just because he was he was so clever and so well-spoken. But now he's had success in the business world and he's become kind of this oracle. Uh, you know, when, when he talks about these things, people pay attention. One of the reasons that Dean Beeman had such a long run was because he was a player and he was a pretty successful player. And, he, uh, and it's one of the reasons why the guys on Live love Greg Norman because he just has a player's perspective. And, you know, Fincham didn't have that. Monaghan doesn't have that. So I think at this very fraught year to have a former player would, would be huge. I mean, we joke I like about Jeff. Jeff Ogilvy. I know. I, like I was going to say, we joke about Jeff all the time because he has such a great mind. I know for a fact he doesn't want the job because it's so thankless, even though it's, it's a nice paycheck. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the thing about Jimmy Dunn, like, his that golf channel interview he, he gave or he said he would you know he would kill the terrorists himself like that was a major red flag of all the out of pocket things that have been said during this whole controversy that was one of the wildest and you know you need a certain disposition and a certain diplomacy to um to be the commissioner especially in this fraught moment and there's no doubt that Jimmy Dunn is great at building relationships in various grill rooms of fancy golf clubs and, and people love his company. But, you know, that was sort of his, his national debut in the media spotlight. Um, and that was like, wow, I can't believe you just that said was, that. Wow. So I, I, I liked it. I mean, I liked, I liked the fire, but I get your point. He's probably not the best to be in. Like, I was like, okay, I, I love, I mean, I've, I've had a couple of really cool experiences with Jimmy Dunn. I, I I would I would follow him, you know, anywhere he went, but that was that was uh that was a that was abrupt and abrasive to be said on golf channel. <laughs> yeah, of all of all places. So um who knows? Like that would be a big job. Um Greg Norman, you know, in, in your mind, stays or goes, regardless. I mean, what's the what what is his status? I think he'll fight hard to stay on through 24 and have a pretend he has a role and to to look like he has a place in this new world order and um but clearly he's been an impediment if we're trying to put the game back together none of the tour players want him around no one in Ponte Vedra Beach wants him um I think you know Greg's almost 70 I think you know, I was told by people at Live he has a huge golden parachute. I, I think he stays on as long as he feels like he can declare victory and then just just sort of ride off into the sunset. It, it, he's he's so polarizing and so divisive. I can't imagine he would last longer than that. Assuming yeah. that this gets consummated and this new code does become a thing, if, if it all blows up and Live just stays independent, then maybe you know he'll last longer. But if you're trying to to reimagine professional golf, it, it, I don't see a, a place for him. Meanwhile, Tiger Woods, like what, what, what? Obviously, you've heard nothing because otherwise, everyone would have heard something. But what is? Where is Tiger? I mean, what I have heard about Tiger is that he he wasn't stoked, but 
he also understands. I mean, Tiger's Tiger's a very black and white personality, right? And um, he doesn't get caught up in the nuance. Like he, that's just how he's always kind of done things. And when he ends a relationship, it's over and it's cold blooded. <laughs> he locks and, the door. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're going to drive you to the airport on vacation and we're going to change the lock <laughs> while you're gone like that. So I think Tiger's already moved on. Like, okay, I, I said what I wanted to say. I took a stand. The other side, the other side prevailed tentatively and let's go. I mean, how he's already thinking of, you know, ways he can leverage this. I'm sure he's looking at, at golf course design projects somewhere in the Persian Gulf as we speak, you know, at least on Google maps or whatever, like Tiger's a pretty, um, rapacious businessman. And now, now he just got the okay to, um, to do business in, in Saudi Arabia. So, um, you know, his, his, his arguments were always about the competitive nature of live golf. I mean, everything he said, he never made the moral argument. He, he always said, I don't like it because they haven't earned it. And the players who are going over there, what's the incentive to practice where the guaranteed money, all this and that, you know, tiger saw it through the competitive lens. And so, um, I don't well, think he's the other from a legacy lens too. Like we talked about 82 and 15, you know, if there's some sort of like breakaway tour and everything goes that direction, then an 82 PGA tour wins and 15 majors, 15 majors, you know, uh, can stand, withstand the test of time. But 82 PGA tour wins is something that think about what that took to get to that number. That's a number yeah. worth, worth protecting and standing by. If I, I, I would never know, but 82 yeah. wins is 82 wins. No. I totally agree. I mean, Tiger was trying to preserve the legacy of the PGA Tour. That's always been his platform. That's where, and if the tour is devalued, then on some level, people could possibly devalue his accomplishments. Hard to imagine, you know, what he did. It, it'll always stand the test of time, but yeah. you don't want the tour diminished. And, um, you know, potentially this strengthens the tour. I mean, I've I said this previously, like this, if you take if you set aside the moral argument, which is complex, but if you can, if you can eliminate that, this could be a huge win for the PGA tour. You, they still control the day-to-day -day bureaucracy. They have access to unlimited money. They can craft a global schedule that incorporates the best European tour events. Um, and they can, they can get back players that matter. Cam Smith matters. Brooks Kepka very much matters. Dustin still could, you know, name a few others, Patrick Reed. I mean, Bryson's played great in the majors. Like the, it doesn't serve the tour's interest not to have access to those players. So um, I think Tiger sees that. Okay. We're, we're, this is going to strengthen the tour if it goes through. And even if, even if the PIF deal falls apart, they're going to, they're going to wind up with private equity money and the tour can, can, can retrench. So I, I think, I think Tiger, he never wants to be on, on the outside looking in. That's not a, that's not his normal position, but he, he's a, he's a bottom line guy. And I, I think he recognizes that the tour had to do something here. And, and let's not kid ourselves. I mean, Mark Steinberg is a huge player in the, in the game of professional golf, given his relationship with and, and, and partnership with Tiger Woods. So, I mean, there's, he's going to have to get, whatever it is he needs to get or wants to get out of some sort of deal as it relates to not only tiger, but his stable of players. I, I just, I, I still wonder where, where and what he's, how involved he is in all of this. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to what I said, the top up making the players whole. I mean, Steinberg very clearly with, with tigers urging and nudging, refused to send anybody to live. The only, the only XL sports management guy who went was Thomas Peters and, and they parted ways with him as soon as he landed in Mexico. So um, this new co is now a chance for these players to get paid for their loyalty. You know, Jimmy Dunn talked about granting them equity in the new company that that could be very valuable over time. But what these guys want is cold, hard cash. And there's no more rules anymore. It's if it's a for-profit business, they can they could just give spot bonuses. Okay, Rory, here's your hundred million. John Rom, here's your seventy-five million. This is your loyalty bonus. They can they can give all the the middle class, the guys who are so up in arms at the players' meetings. They can say, okay, 
you know, in 2023, you got a $500,000 stipend from the tour. Now it's $3 million. How do you feel now? Now they're happy. Um, they can, they can be your appearance fees. There can be bonuses. There's all this stuff. The PIF money now allows the players to be repaid for their loyalty. Even Chess and Hadley, <laughs> which is funny because he was so bitchy about it. But, um, and so Steinberg needs that. He needs that because he told his players not to go and he, he drew a line in the sand and, and they gave, they left a lot of money on the table collectively. So, this is important for, for the Steinbergs of the world and, and his players and the guys who didn't go. They need to get paid, and the PIF money allows them to do so. It also allows the tour to continue to work with sponsors that they want to work with, that they've been working with at an affordable rate. So if the number is $20 million that they need to get to per tournament and PIF puts in 10 and that means the AT&Ts or the Chevrons or whoever else, you know, whoever else is coming in as, you know, John Deere's and everybody. But now it's, there can still, there can be an affordable rate. You're back down to the eight to 12 to potentially, you know, the $15 million range, as opposed to asking these, these sponsors for 20 million and you get a better product as a result. Do you think there, there is some, potential for a live verse tour team event, you know, to, to cash, to cash in on some sense of the, the, uh, the competitive spirit, so to speak. I mean, that would be a blockbuster. If, if live endures, why not have a couple co-sanctioned events and, you know, that people don't pay any attention to them, but they have these point standings on live for both the teams and the individual players based on how they finish, they accrue points. And so you could say, okay, the top six live teams will then now take on six teams of PJ tour loyalists. And how, how much fun would that be? And how the, the tour players arrange that would, would be, that'd be part of the backstory who, who drafts, who, who all the, the allegiances and, how much fun would those tournaments be? I mean, there'd be like a real energy around them and the money could count uh, for, you know, the, the tour money list and the PIF could pay the whole purse. And um, that could, that would be a huge boost to live obviously. And I think it'd be fun for fans and that there was language in the framework agreement that, you know, that the, the PJ tour and, and the European tour will make this good faith effort to incorporate team golf into its schedule it's quite possible to just cannibalize the idea um, if live goes away, but if live endures, I think it would be insane not, not to have some of these tournaments where you bring it together and um, it just creates this, this whole other subplot. So um, yeah. And a whole nother marketing component in terms of logos and, and merchandise. Yeah. And it's a way for, I mean, you know, and, and if you take, if you take the Zurich classic and see the popularity of that, sub event within the tour already and you kind of expand upon that so so just to to summarize your biggest takeaway from reading this you know this term sheet so to speak is that it's got a long way to go to actually become a reality to to you know that 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 was your biggest takeaway is wow this is this is just the framework yeah because there were you know, when, when Jay was talking about it and Jimmy Dunn was talking about, it and even Yasser on CNBC, there were not a lot of specifics. So you, you kind of felt like, are they holding back? They don't want to say the wrong thing, but no, there are just no specifics period. Cause they're not even in the document. <laughs> like they were just, there's nothing like they basically just sketched out in the back of a cocktail napkin and that said, okay, here, took it to the lawyers and said, make this sound official. Um, so yeah, there's there's clearly a long way to go. And it was like everything's just, negotiable except for like this, this, and this. Otherwise, like everything's on the table. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you just put those guys back in that cigar bar in London, um, it would not be easy to get to the finish line. Now you you have all the player directors, you have all the the pack, you have Keith Pelley in the European Tour and all his constituents. You have the Department of Justice. You have Senator Blumenthal. Like you've just added another a bunch of problematic, you know, cooks into the kitchen. And so it, it's, you know, you get, you get 10 tour players in a room. They can't even decide what kind of pizza they want to order. Like this is, this is going to be really complex. So yeah, the, the key takeaways are they have a long way to go. There's not a lot of clarity. Um, the future of live golf remains uncertain. 
the um and future of Jay Monahan is uncertain. Future of Greg Norman is is uncertain. Future of like the future of the team component is uncertain. The future like it's just uncertain, uncertain, uncertain. uncertain. The only sure thing is is Yasser. But again, if they can't consummate this agreement, um, the does, the PIF is not a sure thing. Like th they have to get this in the barn. I mean, um, so the PJ Tour will endure on some level whether they bring in private equity money or or they wind up with the PIF. I mean, it could even prosper. But the only thing we know is that there's, they're going to play golf next year under the PGA Tour umbrella, um, and everything else is is a maybe. And it's it's a fascinating moment. It it just it throws everything. Everything we thought we knew is is up for grabs. You know, it seemed like what about like the Rider Cup? What what about the Ryder yeah. Cup? It does loosen things up, right? For captains picks, Ryder Cup to to I has to, right? At some at some point we well, can only, drop the whole you know. See, I mean, this is the crazy thing is even this new this new era of cooperation, supposedly, the the rules and regulations remain like this kind of religion. And so Keith Pelly said the day after all this news broke, um, you know. We only have two rules to play in in on the European team, and one of them is, you know, you have to be you have to be a member of the European Tour, and all the live guys resigned, so they won't have to pay their fines. And if they want to, they can they can reapply for membership, but they'd have to pay their fines. They'd have to serve their suspensions, and then Pelly said, but even then, we'd have to look at it because the deadline for membership was May first, and they missed the deadline. It's like really, Keith, like. Like how much more like bureaucratic can you be? So um, it doesn't, there's not too many guys who are strong contenders to play. I mean, Thomas Peters, he, he's got a good case. He's been playing well this year. He was you know 34th in the world when he went to live. So he was a contender. Bernd Wiesberger, he played in 2000, um, the last Ryder Cup. So he's, he was a contender, even though he hasn't been playing that well. I mean, you Sergio's talked about Rom and Sergio's chemistry. Yeah, because because Rom and Sergio went undefeated last time and because Rom has advocated and he's so important to the team, Sergio was in the mix. That's probably it. So three maybes, but um, it's just that's funny. That's a fourth that, of the team. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that, that's true. I mean, it, it's just funny that they're, oh, they missed the deadline. We can't do anything about it. Like, really? Like, everything's up for grabs. The U.S. has always been in a different, different scenario where the PJ of America grandfathered all the live guys in because they don't want to deal with it. They're like, here, here, Zach, this is your problem, not ours. So they they extended their their PGA of America membership. So any of the any of the live guys can play, even those who resigned their tour membership because the they were grandfathered in by the PGA of America. So now it's going to be up to Zach. And certainly it'll make it easier for him to pick Brooks and or Dustin um, because the, the walls have come down and they're not the bad guys anymore. But uh, you know, Brooks is a sure thing, whether he qualifies or not. Dustin has not played well enough in the majors. He's played well week to week on live, but um, it's interesting because even that's starting to change. Like everyone was so quick to devalue the live victories and the live performances. I, I did see something. It was, it was Kyle Porter. Who's been very anti live, but he had a, he had a list of, of players who were on the bubble for the Ryder cup and it was worldwide wins. And he included the, the live events. So it's like, all of a sudden we're kind of upgrading the live events in the, in this, this new reality. So in that context, Dustin's has two worldwide wins and he, he should be, he should be a contender. I mean, Taylor Gooch is interesting because by any measure, he should probably be on the U S team, but he's been so polarizing and he's been such a troll. Um, <sighs> And there's a lot of hard feelings around Taylor. And he was one of the guys who sued the tour. So I don't think he'll get strong consideration. Brooks and Dustin kind of stayed above the fray. They weren't parties to the lawsuits. They haven't been talking any trash on Twitter. And so I think, I think that they would be welcome back. Um, Gooch, no. Patrick Reed, no. Um, so those are, those are probably the only other guys who would be in the mix. Uh, so, so what yeah. happens? What happens July eleventh? What, what what's your sense? A lot of political grandstanding, a lot of mealy mouth pronouncements from um, the, the 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 witnesses. Um, now, will 
will Yasser even show up? I mean, that they they were prepared, Liv's lawyers were prepared to go to the Supreme Court trying to prevent him from being deposed by the Department of Justice because he, you know, Al-Rumayan has this dual role where he's a, a member of, he's a high-ranking member of the Saudi government. He's also maybe the world's most important businessman. And so as a, as a sovereign, as a member of the sovereign, you know, ruling party, he would probably be exempt from having to testify as this business guy who runs a big oil company and who sponsored this, this golf tour, they could probably compel him to testify. That was the early um, judgments from the lower courts saying, you know, this falls, there's a carve out. If you're running commercial activities, you can't, you can't claim immunity. Uh, So, but that was headed to the Supreme court. That was part of why, why the PJ tour cried uncle. Cause that was going to take two, two years to get to the Supreme court. And so um, his role is, is unknown. I think they have until July 4th to declare, um, to respond to the invitation. Essentially Jay, Jay Monahan's health is unknown. The only guy who wants to be there is Greg Norman. Like he would love that because he was, he's been marginalized in this process. He's had no voice. He's kind of been no underground. Mention. Yeah. So he would love to be on Capitol Hill with all the cameras on him. And if you remember, you know, he did this this big tour where he met with lawmakers and and this was set up by the lobbyists that Liv employs. And it was kind of a disaster uh, because some of the lawmakers said they had some really harsh things to say about Norman afterwards and the, the quotes went around the world. So even though he was burned, he the guy's so he lusts after the spotlight. So of the three, he's the only one who wants to be there. Whether the other two, you know, in, in Monaghan and Al-Rumayan will be compelled and or feel like it's in their best interest. Uh, so <laughs> the, the political theater is going to be fabulous. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm wondering if I should even, if I should make a, a run out to DC, but um, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> you and I, Matt, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. There's your not book much, is it? Is your book done now? Did you did? Is it done? Done? No, no, or do I mean, you I still have up, wiggle room to update? Yeah, I stayed up last night working on it. I mean, it's um, the publisher is committed to taking this down to the wire, and it doesn't go to print until mid August. So, well after this stuff on Capitol Hill will play out, after the Open Championship, after there's probably going to be a, a world ranking adjudication. So, I'm I'm constantly tweaking it and. It's, so it's going to be up to the minute um, it, as much as you can be with a book that has to be printed and distributed. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm still – I had turned it in, but we uh, – it's always a process. Even In any scenario, when, when, you, when you turn in a book, yeah. you get it back at least twice. It goes through their yeah. copy editing. It goes through the legal review. You're always, you're always vetting it and looking for, you know, misplaced commas and stuff like that. So there's always going to be some time now um, – you know Simon Schuster and Avid Reader Press to their great credit they've they're like this is this is too big a deal we have too much invested in this book we want it to be as current as possible so like it's institutionally uh, we're taking it down to the last possible second so it, it's up to date and excerpts obviously will be uh hitting the firepitcollective.com at some point soon which I'm excited about yeah, yeah, I already kind of know what I want to do for the first excerpt. It, it's going to be cool. I mean, the, there people have said, "Oh, it is, you can just whisper hurt. it to me. You can just yeah. tell me secretly." Is this microphone on? Um, <laughs> I was like, wasn't that Connie Chung, the Newt Gingrich? Just whisper it. You know, all the cameras were rolling and they were wearing microphones. Um, um, you know, some folks have said, "Oh, does does this hurt the book?" I think it helps it because there's so much context. Oh, yeah. Like, how did oh, yeah. we get to this moment? Oh, yeah. And the first excerpt will will dive into that and. And the things that Jay Monahan did or did not do along the way become even more paramount. And, um, you know, I know enough to know about what you've said to me through the reporting process to know the book is definitely going to benefit from all of this. Yeah. And it's cool. The whole story is in one place. You know, we don't know the exact ending, but we've we've just got a huge clue. So um, that's my dog whining in the background. I guess it's time to wrap up the podcast, according to Monty. But yeah, this is a good time. Monty makes the call. We didn't even get a chance to really talk about very quickly, Matt, because we tease at the top, like all the fun things that we're working on at the Fire Pit Collective. We'll give the listeners a, a little teaser on on some of the stuff that's, you know, this, this, these long form videos. 
they're long in gestation. Like we've been working on this stuff for a while. We haven't been able to leak it out, but what can people look forward to? Final edits are being made to our Dublin travel show. As we speak, we are uh, under the hood on uh, building out Belfast, which I'm excited about. We're also uh, releasing uh, a little sizzle about the project we have going to Pasa Tiempo, Jim Urbina, um, restoring the original Alistair McKenzie greens after decades, almost a hundred years of sand splash and, and uh, wash out from, you know, different components of mother nature and top dressing and all that goes with all that. There were virtually, you know, very few pinnable locations. If you're going to run them at modern day green speeds at Pasa Tiempo. So that's, that's an incredible project that, that I'm really excited about um, that we're excited about. Um, we have a couple that we actually can't talk about. We, you know, we've already released the sizzle of Cobb's, uh, the building of, um, of Gamble Sands, David McClay Kidd building a second course there, going back up to Brewster, Washington next week. Uh, we've been out and uh, we're documenting some of what's happening at Cobb's Creek in Philadelphia and um, creating a sizzle video there. Canal Shores in Chicago. Uh, is another project that we uh, we've been on site for, and we're we're looking to to document some of what's going to be happening there. Um, and uh, and you know, obviously, we put out the Maggie Hathaway feature. Really exciting about uh, what's happening in Los Angeles to that nine hole par three course, and the um, you know upwards of fifteen to eighteen million dollars being put into. Uh, to that facility, which I think is, is what a nice tribute to a woman who I've just gotten to learn a lot about over the course of the last, you know, few months and beyond. And, uh, wow, what a powerhouse, you know, I talk about Susie Whaley or Marion Hollins or (laughs) some of these other women who have had a big impact in the world of golf. My gosh, Maggie Hathaway is, uh, was all world. I wish I, I got to get, got to meet her. Yeah. And one of our secret projects, I've, my shoes are still dirty. I'm coming in hot from uh, a secret spot in San Francisco and I uh, can't say any more than that, but it was, I was <laughs> I there know, today. Was... <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, just, just to give people a better idea, like these are all really cool golf course projects, restorations, new builds, whatever they may be. And we're kind of, some of them are chronicling from the very, very beginning and going back over time to see how it evolves. And you're there with the architects and the builders and the, the guys in the bulldozers. And, you know, where I was today, they were hydro seeding, they're blasting, you know, thousands and thousands of grass seedlings all over the, it's like cool to watch. And it's, a, it's education for, for us. And it's the one, these are all different projects, different parts of the country, but the connective tissue is the passion. Like the people behind these projects are just so into it. And it's all about making great golf and they're public. I mean, Gamble Sands is, is just waiting for people to, to make that pilgrimage. Oh. Pasa Tiempo to me is one of the most important golf courses in the world because totally. it's prime Alistair McKenzie that anybody can play. It's half the price of Pebble Beach. It's not cheap, but it's doable. You don't have to stay at the lodge. You know, it's, it's not, it's way cheaper than Pinehurst than, um, any of these other citadels that um, really exclude a big chunk of the population because they're just so pricey and Pasa Tiempo is, is a dream. And so for us to be out there as, as they're these iconic greens are being rebuilt and we're, and we have the cameras rolling and we can bring the whole process to life. Like that's going to be so cool for people to get to, uh, to watch all this. Had to happen. I mean, those greens, you know, 90 years old, Drainage, drainage issues, you know, pinnable locations and it being as important as it is, as you just described, Alistair McKenzie accessible, the membership, what they did. And, uh, you know, we've been following along for well over a year, what they did for the greater good of their course, the future membership uh, for anybody who's going to rock up and, and play that golf course 10 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, I give him a lot of credit. That took guts and took uh, a lot of, of cohesive conversation and uh, collaboration, communication, 
Justin Mandon, the superintendent there, was was critical. Scott Hoyt, the former GM. Steve Argo's there now, the current GM. Ken Woods is the head pro. There's a lot of really smart people on their board, the decision makers. Uh, and Jim Urbina was is the, talk about passion and and uh, an understanding of McKinsey and the drawings he has access to and what they're doing USGA you know um greens from a from a drainage standpoint they're able to follow the layering and the aging of the sand and dirt as they cut into that into those those greens and they're able to see the original undulation of those greens based on 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 the 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 sort of the aging layers of of the land of the sand and they can still make you know judgment calls and they can still sort of compromise based on what they what they ultimately want to do but this is going to be a fascinating reveal for architectural geeks or or agronomy geeks uh for Pasa Tiempo, Alistair McKenzie geeks for golf geeks, uh, considering what that golf course is and what it means to golf in America. I put it in the conversation with the Pebbles and the Pinehurst number twos and uh, in terms of accessible, but then also the Pine Valleys and Chicago golf clubs and national golf links of America. This is, this is one of the, this is one of the ones that I think are way, way underrated uh, in terms of where it comes in on the rankings, I see some of the rankings of where Pasa Tiempo is as it relates to some of the other Jabroniville golf courses that are in the top 100. And I'm like, yeah. it's an embarrassment. It's an like embarrassment. Gauzer Ranch or someplace like Sabonic. <laughs> like, it's like, it's a joke. And um, yeah, I mean, it's his. it's up there with Augusta National and Cypress Point and Royal Melbourne. <laughs> I but mean, it, anyone can go play it. Like, I it's know. just. That's what's so amazing, and it's epic. Um, oh, it 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 is. It really is, and so, it's going to get even better because now Justin, who's an incredible superintendent, is going to be able to run them real fast on fair and pinnable locations. So it's going to get. It's just going to get more interesting and more fair and more and more fun. But it's not necessarily going to get you know get easy. People are like, oh, it's going to be too easy. No, it's not. Now they can put pin. Now they can tuck pins and have it actually be fair. So oh, yeah, um, that's, that's one of the things I'm most excited. I mean, er, every one of them is so different. It's development, restoration, renovation. Uh, you know, it, it's a, a little bit of, you know, it's municipal, it's community assets. It's, you know, we're, 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 we're diving deep into all these different projects. And I don't think it, this is going to end in 2023. I think this is going to be a big part of what we do as a company going forward in additional, in addition to some of the other stuff. So yeah, it's, um, this is a, this is a good time to be doing what we're doing storytelling around some very interesting and compelling stories. So thanks for all that you're doing, keeping us updated on, um, on this fight for the soul of the game. And, uh, and meanwhile, it's fun to collaborate on some of this other stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And no, I, that, I've seen some of the the rough cuts on these things. Like people are going to love it. Like the Ireland stuff is so rich, and you know you've been doing on the travel beat for thirty years, basically. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people doing travel, but uh, you you were there first, and you you have this this depth of knowledge and uh, these relationships, and and I mean you're practically an honorary Irishman at this point. So Matt <laughs> Ojanella, like we're gonna we're gonna have to rename I'm you honored. at some point. Yeah, I'm honored. Well, so, uh, that, that's part of the Dublin thing. I go find my family heritage, and would you believe that my great great grandfather Michael Boland farmed, rented, and then bought and farmed eighteen acres of land within a stone's throw of Dunebeg Golf Course. So fucking Donald Trump was my neighbor. <laughs> God, 18 acres. We could have put in an incredible little par three course in the dunes. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, could, we're going to go hold on to that land, Maddie. Jeez. Gonna, my grandma, apparently my grandma tried to buy it and she wasn't a citizen at the time. So she, she couldn't get it, but um, bringing my family back in a couple of weeks and we're going to go find it. I love it. Well, that that's great. All right. So that's just a little County teaser. Claire. What we've been up to. Yeah. Lots of stuff happening here at the fire pit. Um, thanks for making it to the end of this podcast. We appreciate all you listeners. We will keep coming at you. Um, I'm going to, 
I had to get the book done. I'm going to get back to writing my weekly Ask Alan columns, so you can look for those and lots of lots of fun stuff percolating here. So for Matt Janella, this is Alan Shipnuck. That was another Fire Drill podcast. Thanks for listening, and uh, this is the end. Goodbye. I bet big and I played to win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. Ran the table, never thought I could fall Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking